In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confessions, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near, and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among those all around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. 
For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me as we pray? Oh Lord, we ask now as you've been reaching out to us, touching us, speaking to us throughout this service. We pray that we would uh, be able to smell that repentance is sweet and not bitter. We pray that we would see uh, and feel the freedom that comes from the grace of repentance. In Christ's name, amen. I think one of the most inspiring things to do, uh, things to see is when one of our fellow human beings acts nobly. Maybe it's um, the nobility expressed in their courage, nobility expressed in their compassion, nobility expressed in their selflessness, their generosity. When you see someone acting nobly, it lifts us all up. We want to aspire to it. Now, one of the um, acts of nobility that I find to be very rare is the act of repentance, Uh, the act of uh, a good apology, saying sorry. In fact, uh, many public apologies are really a master class on how not to repent, right? If I've done anything to offend, if you've misinterpreted, you know, just the thought and the number of people that go into crafting. In fact, it's become so common now, right, that they rank the worst apologies of every year. They usually pick on the celebrities or pick on, you know, the politicians or the corporations. But bottom line, they do it because it's there. And sadly, uh, looking to the church doesn't offer much better Uh, Sadly, I've been part of um, a group of ministers who have uh, needed to engage an elder in the presbytery, not in our church, who um, slandered some ministers on social media. And uh, the approach has been uh, to be gentle, to be humble, to be warm, and after we could finally get this elder to meet, and that took some time. The best he could put forward was, uh, I guess uh, my word choice could have been better. Now I say that not to be judgmental because uh, my own marriage has been a study in not how to repent or how to avoid repentance many times. Um, Early on in my marriage it was Honey, I'm just, um, I'm just discussing theology with you. 
You know, that was, you know, I, you know we're not arguing, we're just debating. Uh, she later would say, you bully me with your words. And she was right. So, this is clearly something we all struggle with. Uh, Elton John saying years ago, sorry seems to be the hardest word. It is. It's a difficult thing. Yet, it is supposed to be one of the things that professing Christians are really good at. In fact, Jesus makes it clear that it is a 101 quality of a Christian. It's actually an entry qualification. When John the Baptist was put in prison and then eventually beheaded because he called King Herod repentance, Matthew tells us, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The implication being, you don't enter the kingdom unless you are a repenter. And so, I gently say, if you are someone whose life is characterized by an unwillingness and inability to repent, you have good reason to doubt your spirituality. This is what we find. On the other hand, if you evidence the grace of repentance, if you see at least the desire to grow in repentance, celebrate, because God has not left you to yourself. And one of the signs that he hasn't left us to ourselves is he's actually given us models of repentance, and this one in prayer, in Daniel's prayer of repentance. We're looking at different prayers, experiencing prayer. What a great topic, because prayer is ultimately intimacy. This is, this is a series about how can I be more intimate with God? And you know in any relationship, if you're going to be intimate, there has to be honesty and transparency. And so the Lord hopefully moves us to that as we look at this passage. And what I love about this, I feel like Daniel makes the thing so clear that there is one thing that is really central to learning how to repent. And it's simply this, knowing God. Truly and personally knowing God. So I want to talk about how we do that and what do we learn when we know God. So how we know God. Um, I want you to notice that what prompts, what's the catalyst of Daniel's prayer of repentance, he's reading the Bible. He's reading the Bible. He's reading the scriptures. Specifically, he's reading the prophet Jeremiah. And it's significant, but here we have an Old Testament prophet acknowledging that the writings just a generation before of another prophet are literally the word of God. The inspired, authoritative word of God. Now, Daniel was an extraordinary prophet himself. And while he, God, would prophesy through him, he found it necessary to read the scripture, rely on it, and put himself under it. And it's when he does that that his prayer is launched. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so if you feel like your prayer life is kind of, you might... Ask, am I taking advantage of the great springboard of the Word of God? 
God means to build our faith through his word. And specifically what he's looking at, he's, he's focusing on the promise that God made concerning Israel after their exile. Now some of you know the story of Israel and you know that there were years and years and centuries and centuries where the people of God had turned away from God. And after warning, after warning, after warning, after warning, and you heard it in the passage there, refusing to, to receive the insights of what God was saying, God's overtures into their heart, he finally, with grief and a broken heart, had to hand his people over into exile. They lost their kingdom to Assyria and Babylon. And yet the Lord gave a promise. He said after 70 years, Babylon will be conquered by the Medes and the Persians and I will restore you to your land. Daniel is an old man. He's probably older than 70. You see, he was actually carted away when the Babylonians conquered. And what's, what's significant is he had not committed the sins that caused that. And yet he bears the consequences. His entire life has been spent in captivity. And so now that Babylon's out of power, he reads this and, and he wants to immediately, even though the 70 years probably are up, he knows that God is a gracious God. He begins asking, will you, God, fulfill this promise? But it's not just merely reading the Bible. Reading the Bible alone will not help you to repent. There are many people that have read the Bible and not repented, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And so, notice also how Daniel refers not only to the word of God as the command and word of God, but the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord. Voices are personal, aren't they? I bet I could blindfold you and put probably uh, record 500 voices combined uh, of your relatives, your friends, celebrities, and I would play them and you would get every one of them because voices are so personal. We hear them and we know who it is. And why is this important? Well, I'll do it through another question. When is the last time that you repented to the world at large? When's the last time you woke up and said, world, I want to say I'm sorry. I've made things a little bit harder for you than I should have. I know sometimes I've been impatient. Sometimes I haven't taken care of you as I should. Of course you haven't. Why? Because it's vague. It's general. The chances are the times that you've repented in your life is because you knew the voice of the person that was speaking to you. You knew it well. It was personal. The reason why um, I think this is especially challenging in this day and age is we because we sort of live in an age of spiritual ventriloquism. Now, if you, you know, some of you know what a ventriloquist is, probably all of you, right? The, the, the people, that men and women that hold the, the scary dummy on their <laughs> knee, right? Right? And, uh, and uh, the voice seems to be coming out of the dummy but they're throwing their voice, the voice is actually coming from them. Uh, if you'll uh, 
allow me without uh, believing I'm trying to be irreverent to God. It's almost as if, you know, God is the dummy on our lap. And we convince ourselves that the voice is actually coming from God, but it's our voice. It's our opinion. It's our thoughts. It's our feelings. And so God is basically today in modern culture for many people, the voice that I want him to be. But God's a person. He has his own voice. There are lots of examples of this. Uh, this is one that may touch, touch home for you. Uh, it may not, but um, I have noticed with a number of Christians that I've talked to that um, on the one hand, they embrace the Bible's teaching and position on justice, but they don't embrace it on sexuality. And I've wondered about that. I've been scratching my head. Why is that? And I I think this might be one reason. Currently, uh, the stars of the culture in the Bible are somewhat aligned on justice. Right? There, There are some things that share in common. They're not so much aligned on sexuality. And so the question that Christians then need to ask is, are my convictions about justice actually founded in the culture and not on the scripture? Because when we hear the voice of God, there's a certain consistency to it. Jesus said, a shepherd will hear, a sheep will hear the shepherd's voice. And so we want to ask ourselves, what voice am I hearing that leads to the convictions that I have? That's just one example. There are lots of other examples but that's one I run into quite a bit. And so, how do we know God? We know God through his word because his word is his voice. And this word comes to its greatest fulfillment in the voice of his son, Jesus. But let's move on to the second part. What we know about this God as he speaks. Someone has said of Daniel, only those who have meditated long and lovingly on God's character and have grown familiar with his glory could express themselves to God so naturally in these terms. You have a sense that Daniel is speaking to somebody that he knows. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And later he talks about the works that the Lord has done. He mentions Egypt. So this is a God that Daniel, it's not just universe force power. This is a God just like you and I can see people. He can see who he is and he sees how he acts. Let me give you an example. I was at the wedding of my nephew last week. And, uh, you know, one of the best parts of weddings when the bridal party stands up and gives toast, right? It's just like, when, when else do we have these moments where people bear their heart and bear these testimonies? I mean, the other one usually happens and you're not there, it's your funeral, right? But this one, you get to be there. 
And as I was listening, you know, both on the bride and the groom's side, you know, they would, they would stand up and they would speak of the character of them and also speak of certain actions. I remember when, you know, I was going to run a marathon and the person I was going to run it with dropped out and you, on a week's notice, decided you would ride, run it with me just so I wouldn't be alone. Or another one saying, I remember when you stayed with me all night when I had a broken heart and you were exhausted. The day you had prior was just crazy, but you came anyway. And as we heard them speak about the character and actions, we began to see it. We looked at them differently. They were beautified before us. The same thing happens when you read the Bible. As the Holy Spirit begins to testify and speak about God, you begin to see him as he is, how others have seen him, as he's testified, his, his actions. And not only that, it's his beauty. You see, uh, the reason repentance can't happen if we just have a clinical dictionary understanding of who God might be. You see, Daniel is moved by the beauty of the attributes, the beauty of the person, just like you and I. You know, one of the ways that we stop repenting with people, one of the techniques we use is we remove ourselves from uh, the beauty of who they are. You know, we distance ourselves. So meaning this, uh, in order to not repent of somebody, you have to kind of turn off the fact that they are a person with dignity and feelings and compassion and kindness. And so we depersonalize them. That's the only way we can get by. Because if we begin to acknowledge who they are, our hearts will melt. And so when we do repent, it's a, it's a humanizing moment. It's a big moment. It's like, okay, I'm willing to see you as you are. This is why Christians should be the greatest champions of dignity of all people, no matter what they believe or what they think, listening to them and actually be quick to repent. We'll get to why we can be quick to repent. But it also leads us to this idea of what it means to own or name. Now, I like this language that Daniel used where he says, to you belong this, Lord, and to us belongs this. When he's saying belong, translate own, name, own. So he's saying, you own this, we own that. And as he speaks, uh, he doesn't parse. He doesn't edit. He doesn't go, well, okay, we'll admit to this God, or we may have done this. He just has the confidence to call it like it is. This is what we so long for, right? We'd love to hear the kind of repentance that just says, I was treacherous. What I did was full of oppression and injustice. It was wicked. I, I was rebellious. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. I turned my heart, all these different words that describe the actions of human beings that we see in our own lives every day. There's this freedom to just admit it. Again, we're going to get to the, the way that we can actually do that. But before I do that, I want to point out that Daniel speaks not just in the I, but the we. Earlier, Andrew did a wonderful job in just talking to us about communal confession. 
Daniel speaks. When, when I was learning to lead worship the first time at a church, I was in seminary, and uh, they would have the interns get up on a Sunday morning before the church and do the first part of the service. And uh, occasionally I would do the prayer, and I would never forget the minister saying to me, listen, when you pray, don't pray in your I voice, pray in your we voice, because you're representing the people of God before God. So this is what Daniel's doing. Why does Daniel do it? Now, you know, I will say for Westerners, this really, it, it doesn't make much sense. In fact, it's a little offensive. I, I've tried to think of what a Western translation of this prayer would be. In light of our individualism. You know, it might be, listen, Lord, those other people did that stuff, but I didn't do it. I wasn't even born yet. You know? But here I am, why am I suffering? What about my rights? It's very hard for Westerners to sort of get why there would be this communal emphasis. Why does Daniel do that? Because he understands, one, he's representing more than himself because he lives in community. Two, he understands that the sins have not been sufficiently named and owned. And three, he understands that there are ripple effects to all sin in community. Now, some of you know this, that some years ago, three or four or five years ago, this denomination uh, finally came to the point where it issued a uh, statement and a confession on uh, racial injustice. And when that came up, there was a long discussion and debate, as Presbyterians are prone to do, on well, wait a second, the PCA didn't happen until 1973. You know, I wasn't born during Jim Crow or slavery. Why, why would I have to repent? Well, because of this. Because of Daniel. Because of what we see in the scripture. Isaiah, I am a man of unclean lips. I, there's this idea, you know, uh, Presbyterians are big on what we call connectionalism. There's a connected church, and it's an historical church. So you can't, you know, you can't relish in the glories of your past and say, here I am in this long line going back to the Reformation without also owning the shame of it, identifying it. Second of all, why confess and repent? Because the sins had not been appropriately and sufficiently named. They needed to be named and owned. Why? Because there were lingering effects. Many of the PCA churches went back much further than 1973. And not to mention, we had overt examples of racial injustice that were happening currently and in the past. One of the founding documents written by one of the founders taught segregation. So, when we understand this idea of repentance, we're thinking beyond ourselves. We understand I'm identified with my community and my people. What belongs to us, we must name. What belongs to the Lord, though, we must hope in. And this is where I want to end it. Um, this word righteousness is sort of like a doorway. It refers not only to the moral commandments, it essentially means integrity or character. 
And so you find it being used two ways here, referring to the righteousness, the laws, and the commandments, but you find it mostly being used about God's character and his faithfulness to his own character. And so righteousness in this passage refers not only to the basis of punishment, but the basis of forgiveness. The point is this. Daniel is appealing to God's character and God's faithfulness to himself. It's not long. Uh, Kids learn pretty often, right? Pretty early, rather. Uh, But daddy, but auntie, but teacher, you promised. They learn early on, but you promised. All the great prayers of the Bible pulled that on God. They pulled it on God. But you promised. But it wasn't you promised according to our integrity. Daniel is not saying, oh, Lord, according to the depth of our plea. You know, for a long time in my confession, this is just how I'm kind of wired and warped. I really thought like the depth of my sorrow and contrition was kind of a thing that got the pardon going. Right? It was sort of like emotional payback to God. Um, When we believe that it's our integrity upon which God will act, this is why we don't confess and repent, right? Because that's like always up and down. But if you actually believe the basis of your repentance is God's faithfulness to himself and his character, I mean, you've got like a red carpet. To repent whatever you need. Listen to how Daniel bases this whole thing. Oh Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your wrath turn away. Because you keep covenant promise and steadfast love. Because we bear your name. Because this city bears your name. He's essentially saying, save your people for your own sake. Save your people for your own sake. Why? Because that's the surest way that God could ensure his love for you. If God grounded his love for you and I in our actions of repentance, he couldn't love us. But if he bases his love in his character, then he can love us freely and unconditionally and widely and longly and highly, I'm making up words, deeply, Because of the great love with which he loved us, he can so love us. Matchless love. And the depth of that love and faithfulness is seen supremely at the cross of Christ. Uh, I had mentioned before that um, repentance means that we don't just see a clinical definition of the attributes of God, we see them beam. And the book of Hebrews says, in past times God spoke in many ways at many times, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son, who is the, anybody know? The radiance of his glory. The radiance of his glory. Jesus is the beauty of all of that. And so you take the beautiful Son of God who is only faithful to the Father 
and faithful in loving his neighbors and faithful his disciples. And the justice hammer comes down on him. This is what the cross of Jesus Christ is about, right? God has to be faithful to himself. You know, as much as we think, you know, this is where we have to be a little bit more rigorous in our minds when we get to this idea that many people are basing their eternity on this idea that if there is a God, I'm going to come before him, and I think he's going to grade on a curve. I think he's, you know, because that's kind of how it works. And, and I, you know, I've had a lot of mess-ups, but I've, I've done some good things too. And um, that will be a nightmare. I just would, I would urge you now, I would plead with you now not to do that. Because God must be faithful because is, we are so quick to, to judge our neighbor, right? We're so quick to pop up the, justice! I mean, I, I do a thing so trivial like my garbage can. You know, my garbage can went missing like a month ago. You know, it just like it was, I came out, it was, it was like it was raptured, it was gone. You know, and I, and I, folk, I can focus in meticulous things like that. You know, I just can't. I'm like, there, there's other important things like loving my wife and taking care of people, but I'm like, where is the garbage can? <laughs> you know, I go up and down. I even send a thing out on the listserv. I even, I hate to admit this, but I, I figured, well, my neighbor took it, so I took one of theirs and I wrote my number on it. I wrote 208 on it. Okay, I did. I got caught. He was like, you know, is that my can? And I was like, well, I figured you had mine and we just kind of swap, you know? Anyway, but I was just, you know, like, what the heck? Right? This is my garbage can. All right, enough of that. The point is this, you have things like that too. We are so quick to say justice, 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 justice. It's a matter of justice. We care about injustice. This is a generation that cares greatly about injustice. So how can we expect God to go, justice doesn't matter? How can we expect to appear before him and for him to say, it doesn't matter like how you treated that person in fifth grade or what you did to that person or your envy or your selfishness. or It, it doesn't matter. He has to be faithful to his character. But the good news of the gospel is this is the unbelievable thing. Rather than you have to bear that judgment, he comes himself, the radiant son of God, who has only been faithful, and faithfulness demands that the Father, if he's going to forgive you, bring that down on the Son. It demands it, and he does it. He does it, and the Son embraces it. It's voluntary. And so now, now, we hear in our New Testament reading, if you confess your sins, not he is merciful to forgive you, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Because if you are in Christ, he must forgive you. So you and I need to start arguing differently with the devil. 
We need to start dealing with our guilt differently. Instead of going, I'm going to kind of stay away, we're going to say, Lord, I'm bringing my repentance because of your name you have vowed that you will forgive me. You will receive me. And God doesn't do like this. His faithfulness is steadfast love. He did it because he wanted to show forgiving love to you. So as we pray, um, prayer is where our repentance starts. And as it flowers up there, it'll start to work itself out in our relationships, in our community, and in our city. And then, Lord willing, Christians will be known as the great repenters. And guess what will happen? People will come flocking. Jeremiah says, or rather Daniel says, because of our lack of repentance, we've become a byword. That means a standing joke. We've become a joke to the world. But when we repent, people are drawn because all manner of sinners were drawn to Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would um, give us your Holy Spirit and you would give us the freedom. I pray for those that this will be their inaugural repentance tonight. Uh, whether they've thought they've known you for all these years or they've never known you, but repentance will be the doorway. And you tell us that heaven rejoices over one sinner repenting. We pray we could hear that part.